0: Welcome to Encounter Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. I want to wish you a happy new year as we kind of continue in the month of January. Uh, today I'm excited. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be working through a new series called In the Me- Meantime. I think in, in, a, in a way, In the Meantime is a, a perfect way of summing up what life looks like right now. Um, we've kind of joked a little bit um, how, you know, we were excited about 2021. There were so many... Kind of cultural moments leading up of I can't wait for this year to be done, and then this year happened. And as we've joked, um, even internally with as a team, you know, there's been Zane actually threw out the idea of let's just continue to call um, this the month of December 2020, so we have a clean break when 2021 really should happen. Um, we've talked about maybe calling 2021 the sequel. Um, and just referring it to just the, as the number, it's just the sequel. It's not 2021. It's the sequel um, because we've gotten into this year, and I don't know about you, but 2021 has felt like five years has already transpired. I mean, I'm still trying to work past um, the first, uh, you know, just ten days of the year, and so I'm still processing through, like so many of you. And my desire for you over the next few weeks um, is that before we jump in and, and build off this idea of dreaming and imagining what God can do in and through our lives this year, I wanted to talk about in the meantime, because that's where we are. We're in a place where it's it's not finished yet. We're not there yet. And it's really important that we understand um, how to navigate the meantime. And in order to do so, I want us to look at a story that, It's something that we actually looked at about a year ago, right after, about 10 months ago when we first started this pandemic and things were kind of being shut down and life had the emergency brake pulled. And in the midst of all of those things, what ended up happening was we were kind of trying to figure out what does this year look like? What does life look like? Because so many of us had dreams and plans for 2020 that just kind of evaporated in the moment. And as we're in this moment and we're looking to this year, um, I wanted to go back to that same passage that had some really relevant pieces of application for us because there was an aspect inside of that of that passage that I didn't tease out the first time um, because we weren't there yet. And over the course of uh, the next 30 minutes, I want us to look at this um, moment and the life of this man named Elijah. Now, Elijah was a um, prophet, and he was essentially the person responsible for relaying the messages from God. He was the man who was responsible for reminding Israel what their life and what their nation was supposed to look like. And in the course of that um, kind of ministry, Elijah sometimes made some enemies. People got frustrated with them. Israel at that time period, this is about 2,800 years ago, um, was what you would call a theocracy. Now, a theocracy is not a type of government you or I would regularly encounter today in the modern world. Um, there's only one or two theocracies that are actually left in the, in the world. But a theocracy was this rule of government that was, um, the idea was that God was the king, his law was. Um, was the law of the land. And so essentially the Ten Commandments were part of Israel's constitution at the time. And that the people, they weren't just a physical nation, they were a spiritual nation too. And so that meant that there was this spiritual role that the, the prophet kind of played out that made it really critical because he was the one who was responsible for leading the nation spiritually on behalf of what God's desires were. So Elijah um, is overseeing, he's leading in the midst of a period in the nation's history where uh, they've kind of forgotten God. They've turned from God. They, um, like if you've ever visited any museums um, or read ancient mythologies, Greek or Roman, you know that there was a, the idea of just there being one God while we take for granted today was actually a really radical concept in the ancient world. And so Israel's idea that there was only one God, that he was the only God, um, really was kind of bizarre. In fact, there was almost a God for everything in the ancient world, and Israel had fallen into the trap of worshiping one of those type of gods and so here 's Israel who 's turned their back on God, and Elijah the prophet shows up and, and essentially sets up um, a moment for the nation to choose. This moment 's extraordinary. God shows up, miracles are performed, Elijah stands victorious. The, the whole infrastructure around that pro, the kind of the false worship of that God falls apart. And Elijah is thinking revival has come. The people have realized what they're doing is wrong and they're turning back to God. And yet what plays out in the next 8, 9, 10, 11 verses is the exact opposite of what Elijah thought would happen. In fact, the external reality quickly turns on him as we're about to see. But it's not so much the external that I want to focus in on. There's actually two aspects going on internally inside of Elijah that are really important. And in fact, have incredible application and relevance to where you and I are today in the meantime. That begins in 1 Kings chapter 19 with the words, Now Ahab, who's the king, told Jezebel, who's his wife, the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like that of one of them. Now, I recognize that not many of us spend our time studying um, ancient Near East um, history. And, And so maybe Ahab isn't someone who stands out in your mind. But here's what you need to know that you already know. You've never met a woman named Jezebel your entire life. And the reason why is because of that woman. So you don't even need to know how wicked, how bad, how ruthless she was. You just already know it in the fact that you've never met a woman named Jezebel before. Travel the world, you're not going to meet a Jezebel. Why? Because, like, you're not going to meet a little Adolf Hitler. Like, people People recognize there are certain historical figures you don't go and name your kids after because those names have forever been tainted. Jezebel was one of them. She was ruthless. And Elijah knew that her reputation had preceded her and that she meant what she said. She had put a legally binding contract hit out on his life with the full weight of the government. That's why when you see, may the gods deal with me ever so severely, that's an ancient equivalent of a legal contract. She's essentially invoking all of heaven and her view of heaven to say, you will die, Elijah. And Elijah hears this, and instead of saying, bring it, Jezebel, he does the very opposite of that. Instead of Remembering what had happened the day before, where he completely crushed the enemy, he does this. It says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judea, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. You see, this line, he left his servant there, seems like a small detail, but it, it's really significant. This is the equivalent of that moment in a movie scene where a cop walks in and puts his badge on the desk of his boss and walks out of the room. It's that, I've given up. I, I quit. The idea of leaving his servant there meant that Elijah was walking away from everything. He was leaving ministry. He was leaving his role as a prophet. He was done. You see... January 11th, I I saw perhaps one of the most amazing um, headlines I had ever seen. Um, I like funny-sounding headlines, so that's no surprise. But it said, British burglars um, butt dial the bobbies, which is the British word for cops, while breaking in. And it was a story about two burglars in Britain who, while breaking in, had accidentally butt-dialed the cops. They had sat down in the midst of moving things around their house, and when they did that, they dialed 999, which is the British equivalent of 911. And as they're moving around the house, the operator picks up the phone. They can't hear her, but she can hear them. And these people are live narrating what they're doing. Like, grab the television. Hey, make sure you look through the jewelry box. Take everything that looks valuable. And so the operator realizes really quickly, I've got a burglary on my hands. So she calls the cop, and she doesn't hang up. She sits, and she records everything that's transpiring all the way up until the point the cops walk in the door and bust them. Now, that day did not turn out like they expected. They weren't anticipating that the person who would turn them in wouldn't be ADT or some security system. it wasn't rain catching them moving around the house. they had turned them they had turned their own selves in. It didn't turn out like what they thought. and this is in some ways where Elijah is he thought he knew what would happen, and it didn't happen, and it was devastating. in fact, there's a proverb that I think captures this really well. In Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And the word deferred there doesn't mean delayed. It's more like that time, if you've ever ordered something on Amazon you're really excited about, and then you get, um, it's supposed to be delivered that day, and then you get this alert saying, um, uh uh-oh, we're not sure what happened to your package. Um, If it doesn't show up in seven days, we'll give you a refund. It's kind of like, What do you mean? How do you not know where my package is? And it's just this vague statement. That's what he's talking about. Not delayed, but denied. And what the hope word really is pointing to is exactly what is happening to Elijah. He had an expectation that the victory he had experienced that day was going to flood into this day that he found himself. He had expectations that were shattered. He had a hope that didn't happen. And I think this is a really helpful internal dynamic for us to be aware of in this season. You see, when we find ourselves in places where our expectations are constantly being dashed, where they're constantly being disappointed, you start to hope less and less. So eventually what starts to mark you is your hopelessness. And the expectations are really tricky things. In fact, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things that I really kind of drill in on early in the conversation is around expectations, because oftentimes expectations, unmet expectations, are the seat of the frustrations in in relationships. Um, And so one of the things that I'll say to a couple who's all, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, that, like, they're going to defy the odds and they're going to be awesome and it's going to be a fairy tale, is to say, I want to help you unearth all the unvoiced expectations you currently have about your relationship because those things will be the termites that weaken your relationship. If you can voice an expectation, then you're in a better position to have a conversation around it. But what happens with most people, not just in romantic relationships, but in all kinds of different areas of life, including what Elijah is going to is that sometimes if you don't voice an expectation, the only other way you discover it is in the moment it gets violated. When they don't do what you thought they were going to do. You never told them that's what you wanted to do. You never told them that you thought the toothpaste should be squeezed from the middle, not from the bottom. But then it happens. And then you realize, no, I had this expectation. And a, a violated expectation is always more devastating than a conversation around a voiced one. And Elijah had not voiced this expectation. He just believed the revival was going to come and it was going to happen, and then he gets punched in the face by this expectation that's violated. And I think this is what this proverb is referring to. It's it's those moments when our expectations or hopes are violated, and it's just clear it's not going to happen. It's different than voicing it and having conversation around, you know, roles in the household and, you know, details around disciplining your kids and who's paying and who's doing what and all of those kind of specifics, right? That the violated expectations always cost you more than the conversation around the voice ones. And so what Elijah, in the meantime, should have been doing in that period was managing those expectations. But he hadn't, and that over the last 10 months, I would argue that a lot of us have experienced our expectations being violated. Maybe you didn't verbalize, oh, back in March of 2020, I bet 90 days we'll be out of this, or I bet by July 4th, this will all be back to normal. And then what happens? 90 days, your kids are still stranded in Zoom school, which at the time, felt for many people like an oxymoron. And for some of you, the idea of July 4th came and you were like, well, at least by Thanksgiving I'll get to see my family. I'll get to travel by Christmas, and then it doesn't happen. And you're dealing with the grief of a fall that's come that didn't look like what you thought it was, and then holidays hit, and then it's a really hard, hard thing. To walk through, and that what happens is that despair starts to spill out when you live with expectations that are constantly being violated. In fact, I was talking to someone just recently, a friend of ours, who was telling me about um, shopping, uh, picking up some food at a at a honey baked ham, and she was telling me that she would arrive, and they she was talking to the like the person working the desk and. By that time, they had already called the cops three times that day because of people getting so upset that one of the, like one was two ladies coming in and there was only one mac and cheese left and they're like, they got in a fight over it. And there's so much about this last 10 months. I think some of the most embarrassing dark moments of the last 10 months has happened because people have been living with so much despair. And disappointment and their unvoiced expectations kept getting violated and violated and the grief compounded and the frustration and this is why if you were to kind of peep into our family you would notice that one of the things we've been really aggressive over over the last year has been managing our expectations especially with my daughter who is incredibly gifted at at expecting things she is, that's her superpower and the expectation she can build inside of her mind. And so, you know, throughout the, the last 10 months, it was really clear with her when, when we would hear or people would say things and they were like, oh, by the fall, you know, this will all be back to normal. And I would kind of say, hey, um, sweetie, I think that, you know, fall's probably going to look a lot like right now. But the good thing is, is that when fall happens, you're going to have a new teacher and some new opportunities to meet some new friends. And so, you know, while fall may probably look like it does now, there'll be some things new about it that we can look forward to. I was constantly with her trying to reframe expectations. I was constantly trying to dial down the over I was trying to get her to voice her expectations because I knew if we could get them voiced or if I could voice them over our family, then we could manage them. And the moments where her biggest disappointments over the last year oftentimes came out of expectations that were never voiced, that we never kind of rooted up, and then we discovered they were violated. You know, I thought I was going to have friends in my class. Stuff like that. And one of the things that we've done besides just making sure we voice as many expectations as possible so we can have conversation around them, the other thing that we've done has been very intentional about um, looking forward to certain things. So back at the end of 2020, we were already um, pretty um, pretty aggressive, actually, in planning our summer vacation for 2021. We were planning a, a vacation that'll allow us, even if some of this hasn't changed as much as we think it could, um, it still will be something very exciting that we're looking forward to. And, and in our household, um, our downtime, we're talking about that summer vacation, we're talking about the things we're going to do, the places we're going to see, all the subtleties of that travel, like all those details we're talking about right now, because what's true about you and me is when we have something to look forward to, it's amazing what we can walk through, right? If you've ever met a um, a woman in a really difficult third trimester, right, That's the, that's the strength. I mean, when When Jenny was pregnant with Henry in those final months, it was the fact that Henry was going to show up that made the sleepless nights bearable. It was during those early few months of him not very sleeping very much. It was the one day we'll get to sleep again that got us through those times. And so managing our expectations is a critical thing, and it's something that Elijah does not do. And what it leads to is this. He says, he comes to a broom bush as he's walked away from it all, and he sits down under it, and he prays that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. I don't know about you, but in the last 10 months, I've I've said that out loud. God, I've had enough. This is so old. I am so done. I am ready to move on. And Elijah, because he had not managed his expectations, led to this devastation of his emotions completely, completely in this dark place that he's ready to just not just walk away from ministry, but walk away from life. It's like, God, I'm done. He's in this emotionally exhausted place that sleep doesn't fix that a vacation doesn't recover you with. And it's, it's a hard place. You know when you're in a place like this, when you start to say and do things that aren't like you. Right? This isn't like Elijah. Elijah, in just the week prior, was this man of bold confidence, courageousness, expectation, this positivity. And now he's not that. He's waved the white flag, he's ready to walk away, he's saying things that he would never have said, he's doing things he would have never done. And that's what happens when you find yourself in an emotionally exhausted place. And for some of us, 2020 and 2021, pick an area, whether it's been in politics, whether it's been maybe in your finances, or maybe it's been in relationships, or maybe it's been in career advancement, that... There's probably an area in every one of our lives, relationally, social connections, where we just feel emotionally exhausted because we're living on empty in that area. And the challenge is when you find yourself in that place, you have to become hyper-aware that you're there. Because if not, you're going to find yourself saying and doing things completely unlike you. Your spouse, your kids, your parents. your your co-workers or your boss or your teacher gets things that they would have never expected they got from you. You lash out at them, you shut down, you pull in, you ignore, you start drinking again or you start clicking again on sites you should never have been on. We find ourselves in places doing things we never would have done because we're on empty. And in so many ways, I think A lot of what we've seen the last 10 months, even what I was telling you about a friend of ours at Honey Baked Ham, is that when you are in that place of despair and you're empty, it's really hard to practice empathy. It's really hard to understand what the other side is going through. I've heard so many people in the last 10 months around really important issues shut down. Said, so if you support this person, or if you believe this, or if you don't see this, I'm done with you. I'm finished. And those statements are incredibly dangerous because when we shut down dialogue, we just accelerate the division. When we shut down the capacity for conversation, we stop looking like Jesus. When we're, will, when we're unwilling to walk across And build a bridge to understand we're no longer following his example. We're following Elijah's. Where I'm so emotionally depleted, I'm so done, I'm so frustrated. I'm empty. I don't have room for empathy. And I would just say this in my very humble opinion that our nation needs Christians and empathy more than ever. I don't mean ones who carry signs in stupid places. I mean people who are the signs of God's love and grace in every place. The empathy, the nature of us as Christians taking a step back and realizing, wait, whoa, whoa. In the meantime, I need to make sure I'm managing my expectations and I'm managing my emotions because if I'm not, it's going to take me to a darker place. And eventually, if I stay in there long enough, It'll get hopeless. Unfortunately, what God does with Elijah is really instructive. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and, he, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and then he laid down again. What God does in that moment, this moment and the next moment, right, where he says, get up, eat, for the journey is too much for you, is God understood something about the human capacity, that we are a lot like a battery, that the course of everyday life drains us. But when we're in really difficult places of life, when we have uncertainty, when we have stress, when we have fear, when we're, when we're living in a place of expectations that have been violated and hopelessness and our emotions have taken us into darker places where we're saying things and doing things we would have never done. Right, God understood that like a battery, we've got to be recharged and refueled, and this is exactly what God is doing here. He's refueling Elijah, eating, sleeping, drinking. He's like, Take care of your body, Elijah. Because emotionally, we're in no position to recover if we're physically depleted. Have you ever noticed that you could have the Like, life can be going really well, and then you just get a few nights of not sleeping well. And all of a sudden, man, you're, like, ready to slap people and, like, walk away from it all. I mean, I devolve into some, like, toddler form of me after about two nights of not sleeping well. Like, it is not the best version of me. And I would argue that for a lot of us, the best version of us hasn't probably been showing up a lot in the last 10 months. And that we have to be intentional about refueling. We have to be intentional about reengaging physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That there are the basic necessities of good night's sleep and good food and exercise and, you know, drinking water and interacting, relationally connecting. Like, those things are, are critical. But there's the spiritual habits and disciplines of prayer and communicating with God, which is what we see Elijah about to do, and and spending time devotionally kind of engaging with the Bible. Something that in the month of March I'm actually going to spend that series walking through of how you and I can have a dynamic spiritual life, how we can read the Bible and and be filled from it, how we can have a a prayer life that's bold and actually life-giving. That those spiritual habits are essential. Because if you, if you don't refuel, you eventually find yourself drained. And in the meantime, like Elijah, you just give up. But what's interesting about this passage is right underneath it, it says he was strengthened by that food and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. Now, this would have been a significant place in the life of Israel. You see, if there was a hospital where Israel was born, where the nation was formed, where the Constitution was written, if there had been a 1776 for Israel, it was this. It was the mountain of God, Mount Oreb. It's in that vicinity where they're given the Ten Commandments and the law and the covenant that defines, that essentially becomes their Constitution. It's in that place that Israel as a nation commits to God and God commits to them. It's in that place almost 500 years before this moment that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And here's our arrangement. If you're faithful to me, I will always be faithful to you. And that God takes him to a place that isn't, so much focused on the feelings and the failed expectations, he takes Elijah to a place where Elijah has to be reminded of God's faithfulness. He says, Elijah, you're freaking out over the last week, two weeks. I've been faithful to your people for 500 years. So why are you panicked about five days when I've stood, when I've nurtured, when I've protected, for 500 years and that in this moment I'd like to say that Elijah responded with the words you're right God you are totally right I'd like to say when Elijah got here that he said oh my goodness you brought me back to the place where you birthed the nation oh I'm an idiot of course five days does not erase 500 years of your faithfulness. You're big, you're God. Yes, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna go back to work now. (laughs) He doesn't do that. What he does in the verses that follow is he waves his white flag even more and he throws a pity party to God and says, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who cares. He says a lot of things that quite honestly I think that later on in his life, he would have regretted saying. He said some things that were probably embarrassing for him. Because when you zoom out 2,800 years and we're listening to a man walked into a cave by God, the same place, same mountain, where he birthed the nation, and he's so panicky about five days that he misses the 500 years, we'd all be like, Dude, for real? Like, you need to simmer down. Like, what's your problem? It's an embarrassing moment for Elijah, this great prophet, who had been known just days before for having this great faith. When I was reading this, it kind of struck me that, in some ways, maybe you and I can relate to Elijah. That, I don't know about you, but maybe there's some moments over this last 10 months, this last year, that you're embarrassed of. There's some things you've said, maybe some ways you've parented, maybe some of the ways you've treated your spouse and the way you've lashed out, maybe the ways you've kind of shut down and maybe some of the ways that you've treated your coworkers, or your employer. Maybe the best you didn't show up this year. Maybe you, you haven't been the best teenager or the best student and that Even right now, you kind of say, yeah, I kind of regret some of the last 10 months and what I said and what I did. That I want to leave you with this, with what we see play out with Elijah. Elijah has one of the most embarrassing moments of his life in this cave that God has brought him to. Everything, all of these moments are just moments in the future he'll regret. But what was amazing is if you read the rest of the story, Elijah's best moments in ministry, Elijah's most significant moments in life are still ahead of him. The regret doesn't undo him. What he's done doesn't hinder him from what he's about to do. He still has some of the most incredible moments of legacy and impact on the other side of this embarrassing moment. On this other side of this regret. And for some of you, maybe the best you hasn't shown up in parenting or in your marriage or in your finances or even your spiritual life. But that doesn't mean that the best you can't. Doesn't mean that the best is not in front of you. And that what, as Christians, we have, what as a pastor of Christian theology, what I have to say to you that is so much better than what Oprah or or some podcast on self-help can say is not just merely, well, you need to forget 2020 and move on because you and I all know you can't forget your deepest regrets. There is no amnesia to the words that you said and to the things that you've done. And at the end of the day, the most that anybody sincerely for in their best intentions can offer you is some form of selected amnesia. But what we know that Elijah only partially knew is that we know that the God who walked by Elijah that day, Elijah didn't know his name, but we do. His name is Jesus. And what Elijah didn't know was on a different mountain, on a different hill, there would come freedom and the freedom wouldn't come from our regrets because god forgot them or that we had forgotten them they would come because what jesus did on the cross that would allow us to be forgiven forgiven is so much better than forgotten forgotten still there it still hangs over you even if you're not consciously aware of it forgiveness forgiveness erases it and it has no more weight It has no more standing over you. It no longer gets to define you when you've been forgiven. It no longer gets to shape your future when you've been forgiven. That because of Jesus... No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think about yourself, what narrative you believe about yourself, no matter what storyline you tell yourself, no matter what self-talk inside of your head, no matter how and what you think about when you're lying in the bed, none of those things get to define you in light of what Jesus has done for you. Not forgotten, forgiven. And Elijah tastes a little of that through the way God treats him. And the reason God treats him that way is because God will will do that one day on the cross. And because he takes the punishment, because he takes the guilt and the shame. When we put our trust in him and his name, we're never the same. Those things are removed. And this is what Elijah gets to experience. And because of that, his best moments are in front of him. And I sincerely believe. The best moments for you can be in front of you. The best moments for your marriage, the best moments in your parenting, the best moments of your career, the best moments in your finances, the best moments with God, they can be in front of you, not behind you. That you don't have to be fined, defined by what you've done because of what Jesus has done for you. And that it's as simple as trusting him and stepping in, that forgiveness that he offers to all of us, and that for some of us today, maybe we need to be reminded that there's forgiveness for the last 10 months or the last 10 years or your entire life, and that there's something better, something richer, something fuller on the other side, but that in the meantime, I want to give you permission Like that time when people used to fly on airplanes and the opening line of the little dialogue would be there's oxygen mask right above you. And When the oxygen mask drops, if you're traveling with a kid, put it on you first before you put it on the kid. I want to give you permission in this season, in the meantime, to become diligent about managing your expectations and to become intentional about managing your emotions to practice that self-care while we're in this moment. And that by doing that, by breathing in that life for you, you're in better position to help others do it too. And then as we wrap up, I want to leave you with three questions that are meant to kind of help you, provoke you to, to kind of imagine what this could look like for today. The first question is, in what areas are you frustrated and disappointed This is essentially one of those broad questions that's intended to get you to start paying attention to what frustrates you, what disappoints you, because oftentimes those frustrations are are just the revelations of an unmet, unvoiced expectation. What area in your work, what area in your relationships with your kids or with your parents or with your spouse do you find yourself getting most frustrated, most disappointed? And if you ask why, like, why am I so upset by that? Why did that so bother me? Why was that small thing such a big thing? It's probably because there was an expectation underneath the surface that got walked on or that got ignored. The second question is what refueling activities are on your calendar this week? This is not something, it's one thing to know what you need to do to refuel. It's another thing to do what you need to do to refuel. And the only way it's going to happen is it has to be on your calendar. Maybe there's certain people who drain you. Maybe there's some people who refuel you. Are you talking to those people who refuel you more than you're talking to the people who drain you? The draining ones should be limited to how much time they get on your calendar. The refueling ones, you need to be as generous as you can be. Make sure when you look at your calendar for this week, there are things that are going to recharge you, not just drain you. And then the last thing is if you knew your best moments were still in front of you, how would it change how you act today? If you knew your best moment as a parent, as a spouse, if you knew your best moments as a single one, or as, as an employee or an employer, if you knew your best moments as a, as a teenager were still in front of you, how would it change how you act today? Today because not everyone believes their best moments are still in front of them. But what I see in Elijah's story and what I know about Jesus means that no matter where you are, no matter what's been done, to you or by you, the best can still be in front of you. And then in the course of maybe sometime today, whether a conversation with a friend or one of our groups or just in kind of carving out some quiet time to reflect on these questions, that you would find that in the meantime, that if we manage our emotions and we manage the expectations in this season, that we'll be better prepared to step in to that next season that we'll all experience sometime soon.